Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our fourth episode. I have an incredible show today for you guys. I have Greg Romero, the three-time Olympic BMX coach, and also my longtime childhood friend, on the show today to talk about disconnecting from the outcome, the fear of failure, and pre-competition anxiety. Also, Greg is going to talk about his experiences with these topics that he had to deal with throughout his BMX career. He's also going to talk about how his Olympic athletes have dealt with these topics as well. So you're going to hear an Olympic coach's perspective on these topics that exist in all sports. But you're also going to understand his approach on how he deals with these situations when working with athletes. So again, I'm excited. I can't wait for you guys to listen to our conversation. I had a blast talking to Greg. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Greg Romero. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm great, Grant. Thank you. Yourself? I'm doing great. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to be on my podcast and talk about some really interesting things uh, with regards to mental performance. It seems like you've had a busy last couple of years, but this, this past year was very busy for you with the Olympics. How, how'd that go for you? Yeah, the Olympics is, um, it's, it's always tough. This, this was my third one. And, um, with, with my athlete, we pretty much went all in and went for gold. Yeah, it's just, it's always tough because no matter what the outcome is, you're investing a lot emotionally, um, mentally, physically, time, money, uh, time on the road. And of course, you know, time out in the field, whether it's, uh, you know, training in the field or, or training in the gym. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough because it, there's this big build up to it and then you have the event. And then after that, boom, you're done. You, you know, it's just, it's just a, a, a cliff, if you will. Right. So after 08, uh, 2008 was the, uh, first inclusion of BMX cycling in the Olympics. We uh, we really enjoyed a lot of success. My two athletes, we we got some medals back then, and after the, and it was a big ramp up to that. And then after it was all over, each and even including myself, but both athletes who who experienced success, including myself as a coach, we all experienced some kind of emptiness, almost a borderline mild depression, if you will. So this time around, I actually prepared myself for that, and made sure I had. Uh, task and plans to do immediately afterwards, regardless of the outcome. And that way I can go in and do the best job I can as a coach, you know, which is, you know, within my control, you know, controllable parameters. And so everything, uh, everything went well afterwards. So to me, it's just another event on the outside looking in. It looks like it's a, it's a big deal, which it is. But, um, you know, to most of these athletes, it's just, uh, it's just another, it's just another international event. So for the most part, that's pretty much how we treated it. Awesome. You know, you bring up a really interesting point about is what I call the, 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 the postseason blues uh, for a quarter. I mean, for a, a coach or for an athlete, you know, I'm actually going to do a, pod, a podcast here in the next um, a few weeks on how does a coach or how does an athlete transition out of a season Especially, you know, when you're dealing with all the uh, the, the commitments and, and the emotion that goes along with it, you're so in it, it becomes a habit. And, you know, I, I coach football right now, and 
I had a long season. We had 15 games, and I just got done just past weekend, and I'm going through the same thing that that you're talking about. You just you kind of you're kind of going through this this depression a little bit because you're so in it for so long, and it becomes a habit, and you're building relationships, and now it's gone. It's like, yeah. what do I do? Yeah, I think you're right. You, you, you're absolutely correct. It's we're creatures of habit, right? And and we've adapted to a schedule, and all of a sudden the schedule's done and yeah you're right it's it's what do you do right and uh that that is a tough one that is a tough one i'm no expert in that uh in that field either so <laughs> <laughs> well how did how did you usually in our, well in our our sport's funny um bmx we've you know as a sport we're a year-round sport we pretty much only have december off so we've actually never experienced this big build-up and then boom you know pull the rug out from underneath our legs and you know, where do we fall from there? Um, we, we always just pick up right where we left off come January. So we're literally January to November. So anyhow. Well, I mean, and again, when you get to the level, the elite level of Olympics, there's so much, like you said, there's so much meaning that society makes of, of the Olympics. And, and there is emotion to it. But at the end of the day, you know, like you said, at the end of the day, it's just another race. I know Pete Carroll yes. and... You know, for the Seahawks, he looks at the football games. It's just it's just a football game. The Super Bowl, yeah, we make it a, a, this big thing, just kind of the Olympics. But at the end of the day, it's just a football game with some really good athletes on the field. Yeah, um, the field is still 100 yards, um, and uh, you know, all the, all the same rules apply, and uh, nothing really changes other than the external hype. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's good. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, I can only imagine just kind of uh, the things that you went through as a coach at that level, especially being a three-time Olympic coach. You must have just gone through some really cool things as a coach. Yeah, it has its undulations. It has its uh, highs and its lows. And yeah, it's it's definitely the process is definitely interesting. I'll tell you that much. It's definitely interesting dealing with athletes and really for the most part being part of their dreams and supporting their dreams. And uh, of course, you know, uh, regardless of the outcome, you got to keep supporting them all the way through. And I think that's important. Absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. Well, that's awesome. Obviously, you and I have a lot of history. You know, for my for my listeners out there, I've known Greg since uh, we were in fourth grade. A uh, very close friend of mine. Uh, we, you know, not only have I sh- seen him grow as a BMX uh, racer from as being a kid all the way up to his his adult life. You know, we also had an opportunity to play football together. So we've we've shared some great experiences. So we're going to get into three yes. topics today that that I'm really interested to talk to you about because you and I have a lot of history on on these topics. But before I get into these topics. I just have a few questions I want to, you know, just kind of warm up our conversation here. Sure. How important do you think mental performance is in the sport of BMX? Well, let's let's talk about the sport of BMX real quick. Um, that way, the listeners can have an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Basically, our event is forty seconds. So imagine, I don't know, a two hundred meter hurdle race. Or a 400 meter hurdle race. That's pretty much what it is. So you have eight athletes that line up on the starting gate, and the gate drops. And as opposed to runners being in their own lanes, you actually can you can dynamically 
take any position on the track. So therefore you could outride other riders or push them to the edges. And, you know, you don't want to make them intentionally fall, but you could strategically get close to them to kind of shut them down. So our sport is really, really important at the start. Um, it's important to get the whole shot, to get the lead, and that way you can control the race. If you're behind, it's really, really hard to move up because everyone's going the same speed. And on top of that, you know, not only are you navigating the track, but again, you're navigating, you know, the other riders and their skill sets and, and their tactics and, you know, their speed. So BMX is very hard, um, and it's, uh, it's very fast. So therefore, you know, the last five minutes leading up to a typical BMX race is very, very important to make sure that uh, your, your mind is clear, you're focused on what you need to do, and you have to really focus on that, I don't know, that, that three one-hundredths of a second after the cadence starts because we have a random start. So it says, watch the gate, and then there's a pause, but that's a random pause. It's not the same every time. And then once you hear the first horn or see the first light, which both go off simultaneously to indicate that the gate's going to drop, which is the start of the race, you have to make sure that you're on top of your reaction, getting knocking that gate down without hitting it, but getting it perfectly, timing it perfectly, making sure you have great form because if you come out of position of your form, you're going to be non-efficient, and someone's going to be efficient on that start. Out of eight guys, someone's going to get a good start, right? The odds are someone's going to make it happen. So, yeah, so, again, leading up to those critical moments before the gate drops, it's, it's very important that uh, your typical BMX athlete has a progressional uh, mental plan, if you will. Now, as a coach, because I know every racer, every athlete's different. They all have different dynamics. But as a coach, do you have a, a systematical approach on what a racer should do mentally to get prepared before the gate drops? Or does it depend on what, depending on the racer itself? Yeah, I think, I think every racer has their own way of how they operate at an optimal level, right? Right. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, I think everyone deals with emotions and pressure differently. And everyone is dealing with different emotions and pressures. Yep. So it's hard to have a blanket template that works for everybody. Me as a coach, I pretty much defer, especially at the highest level of the Olympic level, I pretty much defer my athletes to professional psychologists and, and let them figure it out. And, uh, you know, if I need to intervene, that's fine. Or rather, they're, they're cool with it. But for the most part, everyone has their own plan. When you were actually racing competitively, it was what was your process right before the gate, getting your, your, your mentals sync? Sure. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, admittedly, I wasn't I wasn't the most perfect mental executing athlete out there. I, I felt I was one of the most talented physically, but mentally, I always felt like that was probably my weakest weak point. I think that's pretty much anyone's weak point, really. I think it comes down to, you know, the guy that's actually riding the horse or driving the car, if you will. You know, so yeah, I mean, my my game plan was pretty simple. I needed to. As an athlete being really, really good at reaction, I had to make sure that I was relaxed. If I wasn't relaxed, then I wasn't going to be able to get the reaction that I wanted out of the starting gate. So for me, it came down to making sure that 
I was relaxed. But of course, I didn't want to be too relaxed. You know, I don't want to be sleeping on the start. So I had to find an optimal level for me that I can operate. So not too high, not too low. Uh, my just right, if you will, was probably different than the guy next to me or, or to the guy right of me. So I think I think every athlete has to figure out what is their just right. Is it at ninety percent? Is it at forty percent? Okay. Um, for myself, I want to say I was around fifty percent, but you know, I, I think it comes with time and development and and learning how to dynamically adjust from making those mistakes. Uh, both, you know, you know, from a mental standpoint, you know, what was the physical reaction from the mental mistake and identifying that and saying, okay, you know what, I'm leaving too early. I'm too excited. I'm hitting the gate. Okay. Well, that just means I need to relax or I need to make a timing adjustment physically. You know, maybe I need to push my hips back a little bit more away from the gate. And that way, when I come forward through my hip extension, all the way through the bike, I'm not hitting the gate. See what I'm saying? Right. So... But yeah, I've uh, I've always been one of those guys that needed to be relaxed. Okay, good. How many years? Have, how many years have you been racing, Greg? Um, I started when I was I started when I was seven, eight years old, nineteen eighty three. That's right. So I don't know. I don't know. That's that's well over three decades. Yeah. In that yeah. time span, can you remember when you when when you realized that to provide or to get to where you needed to be as um, a BMX racer, how did, was there a point in your career where you're like, I really need to focus on mental performance? Sure. Um, <laughs> was there a moment that you're, I would say, moment? yeah, well, you know, when, when it got real, when it got real, uh, I would say probably the, my second or third year as a professional. Mm. So early twenties, but before that, I never had any experience with mental training or, or 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 even knew what mental performance was. Got it. Um, I think I think my mental focus always came from probably wanting to prove either prove people wrong or show people you know what what kind of talent I was. And I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't really overcomplicate it. I just, you know, I think, I think I was so talented physically that I knew that if I overcomplicated things, then I would potentially choke, if you will. But I didn't, I didn't really choke a whole lot as an amateur. And amateur racing is way different than professional racing. Uh, in amateur racing, if, if you're a really talented guy, you're only you're you're only competing really uh, not obviously against yourself, but maybe one or two other riders. Whereas in professional, despite the fact that there's eight slots in the gate, there's potentially at least thirty guys that at any given moment that if they were to occupy that eight spots in the gate, any of those guys could win. So so you know in terms of execution that's when I started realizing the mental focus, the mental game was important. But really, I didn't, you know, my, my first experience of dealing, uh, or rather hiring a psychologist, I do remember hiring a psychologist. And I don't remember if anyone made the suggestion. I think it was just kind of a friend of a friend type of deal. And he's like, hey, I have a friend. He's a sports psychologist. You should check him out. And I remember I was going through a tough time in my in my career where, I created a bunch of enemies by, you know, not handling the situation well on the track. 
and I actually mentally blew up where to the point where I actually took my bike and I threw it at somebody. I threw it at another competitor. Um, and, and it was, it was an emotional reaction that I could not control. And I ended up getting suspended for a couple months, but I needed to, you know, it, it was a tough time, especially in my young twenties, making money and having sponsors and, and trying to, you know, uh, be a professional in terms of protecting my image and maintaining it and, and trying to, you know, trying to make sense of how do I get back into the sport in two months and be competitive and, and deal with the other, the other kids and their parents, because as professionals, we all, we actually, there was a lot of access from, we raised, we were like a swim meet. We were like the professionals, you know, going with the amateur swim meet. So the pro, the pro races were never separate races. Um, in terms of the event, we were always mixed in with the other amateurs and, you know, there's thousands of, of, of riders there along with their parents and whatnot. And so there was plenty of access to us from these, uh, from the, from the amateur riders and their parents. And of course, you know, I had to deal with that kind of, I had to deal with heckling and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, that, for me, that was the first time I ever realized, like, wow, you know what? I need to go to sports psychologist, and they actually helped me configure how to deal with that um, and combat that and use that as a positive energy towards my performance, and it worked. It worked. Awesome. Yeah, you know, and you yeah. you bring up some really good things. I mean, you know, I think every sport has so, its, has its own has its own dynamics, but. You know, you deal yeah. with external pressures, you deal with heckling, you deal with, you know, um, you know, a situation where you lose your cool and, you know, how am I, how am I going to be perceived when I come back on, on the track? You know, my reputation, there's a right. lot of things that come up that can really affect an athlete. And the fact that you went and, and you know, I applaud you on this the, to actually get some help to get you back on track. I think that's, that's fantastic. I think it's awesome. It made me a better person. Um, you know, at the end of the day, getting a psychologist didn't mean hiring someone to help me didn't mean I was weak. It really, at the end of the day, I was being a respect to my talent, being a respect to, uh, you know, myself for the most part. Obviously, my sponsors and obviously my opportunities to race, I was being a respect to all those things. But more importantly, I was being a respect to myself and I grew from it. And um, I feel like I was a better person. And I've never made that mistake again. So, you know, it paid off. I learned how to deal with my emotions a lot better. Beautifully said, man. I, I think it's... Um, I mean, I was, I was no Latrell Sprewell, you know. I wasn't like, you know, <laughs> right. trying, to, you know trying to punch out PJ Carlissimo, you know. But <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't trying to choke him, you know. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just how, that's just how school sport is. I couldn't imagine being either a quarterback or a pitcher where you have to shake off that interception or that bad throw and you're dealing with linemen that are yelling at you or you're dealing with the crowd or, or people in the bleachers if you're a pitcher heckling because you just gave up a home run. I mean, I couldn't imagine being one of those guys because, I mean, you're, you're exposed. Right. So you would have to you would have to dynamically readjust, reconfigure, um, absorb all those all those external pressures, and be able to perform. That would be to me that that would be, that scares me. I could never even like basketball. Even when you have teammates to defer to, that I mean, you're just so exposed. I couldn't. I could never play those kind of sports. 
Yeah. Well, welcome to my life. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I, yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Playing quarterback for so long, you know, um, you 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 learn how to deal with all that, but it's it's definitely it's it's a lot yeah. to handle at times. For but, sure. But you did bring up something that that I actually wanted to bring up because that was really um, okay. really nice. Is that you realize going, you know, you felt that you owed it to yourself to to get help and get a psychologist, not because you were weak, but because you owed it to your talents. And, and I, I think that it's interesting when you say that because our society, whether, you know, Yogi Berra was the, was the athlete that said that, you know, sports is 90% mental, whether if it's 90%, 80%, 99.9%, whatever it is, our society knows and we all get that mental performance is a large part of our performance. And so because we know that, because that it's really important, people feel that going to someone like myself or going to you know, a sports psychologist that they could be looked down as, as weak. But, but, but we as society think mental performance is vital to, to have a great performance. So. You know, there, there are sure. athletes out there that just have that blockage of like, well, I know I need help, but I don't want to be looked at as weak or I don't want to tell my teammates or my coaches that I'm working with someone. Right, or they're mentally weak. Oh, he needs help. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting that, uh, that you took it upon yourself. Let me ask you this one more question before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of, uh, of our conversation. What does mental toughness mean to you? Um, for me, it means to be resilient, meaning, you know, if you're focused on the task and something comes up, you know, how do you react and get right back to the task? Yeah. To me, that's mental toughness. Beautiful. There's, you know, obviously there's so many things that we can talk about when it comes to mental performance, but, you know, the three topics that I kind of want to scratch the surface with, with you, um, one is disconnecting from the outcome winning and losing versus improving and learning the other one is fear of failure sure. and dealing with you know different kinds of pressures and then uh pre-competition anxiety which i know these are can be very big topics to talk about but within the sport of bmx do you deal with do you ever coach bmxers to disconnect from the outcome not to really focus on the the win and the loss and really focus on improving our learning. Does that come up for you in with, with, with your sport? Well, yeah, of course. And, and it's, it's really, it's really dynamic between, you know, I coach both uh, uh, male and female. And what I have found is I've always felt like I was only as good as my last race. Right. And, you know, trying to have that approach with a female that's not necessarily true. They're really as good as the last moment of the training day. Mm. So what I found is that with women, um, they need to feel good to do good. Mm. And with the, with the males, they need to do, you know, they need to do good. They need to have a, um, uh, I guess a, subj uh, a, a straight up quantifiable objective result for them to justify why they should do good at the next event. Whereas a woman, you know, they can have a totally crappy race that happened two weeks ago, but if they're feeling really good about themselves, 
in the last 24 to 48 hours before leaving on the, onto the plane, or even or even just maybe having a, a great day of practice leading into the next day of racing, that's very important to them. Whereas a guy, I could have I you know, I can have a crappy day of practice on Friday and then go in Saturday and, and just forgetting about Friday and just and just start executing, you know? Right. Um, whereas a woman, it's, it's you know, if they had a hard day, you know, they're going to try to have a really good warm-up and depend on that warm-up that day of. So, so, yeah, so dealing with these athletes, trying to remove them from the outcome, it's easy with women, hard with men. I think with women they like to go off a lot of training data, whether it's visual or whether it's times on paper. Right. Uh, whereas, whereas a, a guy, they could do really well in the training. They can hit, they can hit their squats, you know, what their numbers, what they want to do. They can hit their, their numbers on the bike, you know, in terms of acceleration, in terms of, of, of times to the first jump, if you will, to, to try to get that whole shot. They can get, they can hit all that stuff, but, they can also forget about that when they show up to the race. Got it. Whereas a woman, whereas a woman, I felt, I feel like they really, really harnessed it. You know, Got it. They, they could really, they could really, they could really, really take advantage of that. So, um, so yeah, but for the most part, absolutely. As a coach, especially as a coach, it's, it's very important to measure data on terms of improvement and going through those progressions. Um, I think regardless, that is very important because racing, especially with BMX, especially being that we're not in individual lanes like track and field, you can feel good going peaking and still not make the final because you made, well, a mental mistake and missed the gate. Right. Or there was, or there was an outside there was an external uncontrollable factor that, you know, mess you up. Let's say you got a flat tire, for example, or let's just say a fellow competitor fell into you going over the first jump, or simply he got a better start than you, despite the fact that you got your normal good start, he got a better start and cut you off and made you stop pedaling 30 feet out of the gate. Right. If that happens to you, especially at the highest level, your race is done. You're, you know, you're, you're going to be fighting for uh, pretty much getting fifth place, which is not good. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so I think as a coach for me, um, it, it's two things. You know, in, in terms of training, I rarely focus on the outcome. I mean, we can, we can try. We can try to prepare. We could try to win every effort, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I like to train the mentals while they're doing their efforts, whether it's doing their sprint training, whether it's doing the reps even under a squat rack or if they're doing reps on the track. We go through our progressions of qualifying through to the single eliminations all the way to the final and train for those moments. So it, so for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit dynamic. I'm a little bit different. So I, 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 I make sure that they're prepared that way, when they get there, they can go through. They can tap into those experience they had, experiences they had in training, and apply them in, into the racing. That way, when they show up, they feel like they're prepared. They feel like they already won. I know for me as an athlete, that's worked really well. 
but then again, you know, uh, BMX racing is, is very dynamic, and we could we could rehearse to ad nauseum, you know, kind of like in football. Hey, how that you know how that play is going to be, and and you know, it, you know, externally, an uncontrollable factor can mess the whole thing up. So you got to be able to dynamically adjust as well. So in terms of the training for a result, absolutely. No, I, I think you make a lot of great points. I think it's very interesting how you've you've kind of looked at you know different genders on how you know they mm. within your sport how they deal with the winning and losing and and how they yeah. uh, emotionally deal with it. So I think that's and as a coach, you need to you know it's good that you're tapped into that because you can see the different types of trends because each, you know, at the end of the day, mm. you know, there's different genders deal with different stuff, different people within those genders deal with stuff differently. So the more you know about mm-hmm. your athletes, right. And the more you know how to deal with them in certain situations, the better you're off going to be getting, you know, better results from them. So I think that's awesome. I, I just believe that this, this topic is really interesting because, you know, when I work with, with athletes, um, and I'm working on this particular subject, you know, I've had multiple athletes who are like, well, this is what I do. I train to win and, and I hate to lose. So you're asking me to forget all about that and just focus on improving and learning. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, but mm. how do I do that? How do I do that? And yeah. so I don't know, for me, I just, you know, to break it down to be very simple is you, you focus at the task and the more that you actually you're with a lot of repetition and the more that you are perfecting as much as you can, because, you know, the word perfection can be can be a, a hard word to swallow sometimes in, you know, in, this, in the sporting world. But the more that you're actually controlling that task and you're, and you're doing the best you can, that if you're improving by doing that, well, the wins are going to come. It's, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for athletes to to get those little wins every day, day in, day out of training. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of like a basketball player nailing a certain percentage of free free throws, you know, and making sure that, you know, he, you know, he had that internal battle with himself and he won. I think those little competitions every day within yourself are very important. That will raise the confidence come game time. Big time, and um, and if you're not winning every day, certainly, how do you expect to win when you show up game day? Right. So, I, I think it's important that these guys have the objective of winning the game. I think that's great, actually, because not all not all athletes even want to do that. Right. But yes, there are there are a few that actually want to win, and some of them want to dominate. But we also know that that's also impossible. So what what can you extract from your from your day to day training leading up to that? Because if you were to just depend on a result over the weekend of your game and it doesn't happen, you know you can look at that two ways. Well, you know I did it all for nothing, you know. Or if you were to win every day and see that you're improving, then, you know, you're, you're going to be able to say, you know what, I'll, I'll brush that one off. I'm still prepared. Let's go to the next one right. and make it happen. You know, at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Yep. You know, exactly. that's all you can do. Yep. But right. if you're not, but if you're not, if you're not socking those little wins every day, 
then you're definitely going to look like you're definitely going to perceive a loss as a total waste of time. Whereas another guy that's been winning every day is going to look at it as another opportunity. Yes. Great point. And yeah. And I think it's important that athletes take, and they don't take too long. You know, they, they, they absorb it. They absorb a loss for, you know, for whatever it is, however long it takes them to analyze it while it's still fresh in the head, figure out what they can do right identify and, and, and own what they did wrong, but identify, you know, what that correction is next time and make a vow to themselves. Hey, you know what? I'll never make that mistake again. I will never lose that way again. And, and vow that if you never make that mistake twice, you're only be, you're only going to become better, especially when it counts, when it really counts, you know? Right. So, so yeah, I think those little wins every day matter. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I agree with you too, that those little wins, what they actually do as well is they, they, they give you more confidence. So when you actually do have that yes. loss, you, you're, you're like, well, it's all right. Cause I know how to win and, and I know how to deal with the losing and all right. Um, the, the next opportunity, let's get after it. Whereas if you're, if you're losing a lot and you're not having the right mindset to deal with it, well then, then you get really frustrated and then then it's like, why am I even doing this? And then, you know, ultimately you'll end up quitting the sport. Yeah. Well, and I think the way you have to look at it, you know, if, if, if I can expand on that, Grant. Yeah. You can look at it like this. Every time you win every day in, in those, those training sessions leading up to an event, you know, you can look at those as deposits into the bank account, into a savings account. And if you go to the next event and you don't lose, you don't have, you don't necessarily lose that account. That account still is still there. You're right. still putting money into the account. So if you have that perspective that you still have a big bankroll to play with, come you know the next game. Hey, you know what? You can lay all the chips there. You know, if you will. <laughs> right. But you, but you have to realize that you know just because you lost doesn't mean that your stock goes down. Right. So if you have the perspective that you could take a loss and learn from it, then guess what? Then that's, that's money invested into the account as well. It counts. It counts. Certainly a win, uh, certainly a win counts too, but a, a loss will count as well. Probably not as much, but hey, you still get points, you know? Right. Think, of a, think of an overtime loss in hockey. <laughs> you still get one point. You don't get two, but you still get one, you know? <laughs> what are you going to do? Get mad? Oh, you know what? I got one point down, you know? Right. Um, well, so it's all in perspective. It is actually. You're right. It's it's all in perspective. I think. And when you do lose, what can you learn from it? It's not because you lost and there was yeah. nothing good about your loss. There are some good things that you did, but you just didn't come up with the win. So, it, it definitely yeah. is about perspective. Yeah, and I, I and I think for coaches and parents out there, and, and even athletes themselves, they they have to look at what they did well first, and then go ahead and start identifying some of the issues that may potentially. Um, contributed to your defeat, right? So you have you have to identify both. You can't just you can't just look at one and not the other. That's that's not that's not fair to yourself, right? Absolutely, good points, man. I mean, this is something that we could definitely look at all different angles of it and, and actually have a a longer discussion. Uh, however, there's a couple other things that I, I kind of want to scratch the surface as well as the fear of failure. You know, as an athlete, we deal with all different types of pressures, internally, externally, and 
from your point of view as a coach, and then we'll kind of get into when you were, you know, competing as a, as a BMX racer, how do you deal with the fear of failure when you're, when you're working with an athlete? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I've, I've dealt with athletes that have interesting, interestingly enough, have backed out of a race mentally. I had an athlete one time show up to the world championships in which it was the last event before, uh, and after the event, they determined that last event rather determined what the Olympic selection was going to be. And instead of dealing with it, their fear of fear of failure was that they just mentally did not show up mm. and they failed any, and they failed anyways. Right. And, and to the, you know, I think that was more of a, a protective mechanism. I didn't care for it. Obviously right. I, I would have loved to seen that person go for it and, and literally have, I have nothing to lose. Right. What do you have to lose? I mean, and I think, the, I think, you know, I, I think the bottom line is this. I think if an athlete can realize that win, lose, or draw, whether they make the Olympic team or win the gold medal or not, doesn't matter what it is. If they can have the perspective that they will still continue to live, they'll still continue to breathe, they'll still continue, you know, be able to eat, Time goes on. They have to realize that time goes on. You know, I think that's important. Um, if they realize that, you know, there's another day after that day, I think that helps tremendously. You have to realize that it's not the end of the world. Right. I think that's really important from what I've seen. Me personally, I mean, BMX, BMX, let me tell you something. BMX is a high failure rate sport. Very, very high. Again, when you get into that final there's only one person out of eight guys that are going to win. So it really comes down to perspective. You know, sometimes a second might be a win. A third might be a win. Making the final for, for somebody might be a win. So in our sport especially, it, it really comes down to, you know, what your perspective is on winning, despite the, you know, despite the fact that obviously the guy that won, the, one that, the guy that's standing in the, you know, the top of the podium is the winner. It's okay to get second or third place and still feel like a winner. Right. Um, it's all in it's all in perspective. I mean, you know, you know, we don't know what other people are dealing with, and I think I think uh, our society we get too caught up when people want to measure who the best is or or they want to know who won. I mean, that's great, but you know, we're we're you know, our society is very very competitive like that, and so therefore it, it does put a lot of fear into someone not winning. But I really think it comes down to someone being content with themselves, regardless of the outcome, realizing that the next day will go on. All all those things are important. All those things are important. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, when you think of the fear of failure, there's a level of, of, or lack of confidence that comes in. And I feel when you think of fear, to me at least, from my perspective, fear is a choice. Mm-hmm. If you choose it, then you have to deal with it. But if you choose not to have it a part of your your mentals or you know your mindset, then you're going to be a little bit more control. And mm-hmm. you know, having my 
having a long history with you and growing up with you, seeing you grow throughout the whole BMX world, and also watching you play football, you were that type of athlete, from my perspective, that fear of failure wasn't really an option for you. I mean, sure, I'm sure that, you know, we're all human. We all have our, you know, we all feel things. But, I mean, you went into, like, every race, every practice. I saw you on on the street with with your BMX bike. When I saw you practicing football, you just went at it 110% because you knew you are going to do good, but you also knew you you were going to fail too. But you just... You, you just were confident pretty much every time I saw you tackle something athletically. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think the only time I ever really ran into fear of failure was that it was actually as a coach, to be honest with you, really? fearing that my athlete was going to fail. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I failed many times in, in BMX, despite the fact that I've won over a hundred professional races. <laughs> right. Um, you know, our, our win percentages are nothing like you would see, you know, in, in traditional sports. It's just, you know, don't get me wrong. There's probably one or two guys that have, that have dominated a, a long time at the professional ranks. Of course, at, at the amateur ranks, there's guys that can go undefeated for a very long time. But, but in the male category of BMX racing, um, it's, it's really rare to see someone dominate weekend, week out. But yeah, but uh, but as a as a coach, you know, not seeing, fearing that my athlete, you know, will make a mistake that I didn't want him to make, and then of course, you know, him not making the final or them not making the final, rather. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough as a coach. It's it's really really tough. I, I couldn't imagine being a coach at you know, say the professional football level or really any level. I mean you're dealing with a, a lot of different people that means a lot of a, a lot more a, a lot more things can go wrong right yeah so well in regards to fear of failure does within the sport of BMX because I I see this a lot uh, especially at the high school football level and I would probably say just at the high school level in all sports but social media is that a component that is real within BMX where that can add another level of pressure, therefore having the fear of failure? Because what I've seen, especially at the high school level, is these athletes are one play of one play away getting exploited within seconds. If they have a bad play or if they get run over or if they strike out or whatever it is, then it's broadcasted within seconds to the world. So that there's right. a fear of failure because the social media is so immediate. Does that is that real within BMX at all? I haven't seen that. Hmm. I haven't seen that, and yeah, I don't think we're at that level. Got it. And don't get me wrong, I, I have athletes that all have social media accounts, but to be perfectly honest with you, they're not exactly active, they're not exactly active on there. I mean, they all have verified accounts, you know. But at the same time, they're not, uh, they're all down-earth people, you know. They don't need a whole lot of dopamine to get validation of, of their existence, you know. Right. I, and I think it comes down to, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a whole other topic. It that's, is. That's, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I don't want to digress, but, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. I, I think. 
I think they're psychologists for that, right? Don't they have social media psychologists? <laughs> how to deal with, with social media, you know? You got to have a social media psychology plan, you know? I think it's important. But, but yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. That's, that's a tough one. I couldn't imagine being uh, at that level. I mean, we obviously we see it at, at the Olympic level, but then again, the Olympics is only, you know, every four years, unless, unless you do something stupid, you know? <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> Unless you do something stupid, then you'll get you know you'll get blasted. But for the most part, I have not seen that personally. No. Got it. Okay. Interesting. But I, I couldn't imagine having that back in like high school, like our time playing football and and dealing with you know knowing that everyone is potentially watching even on the internet, especially if you're like you know potentially a a guy that likes to post well, you know, consistently. And then you do bad. It's like you know, if, if every day you're posting something about good, you know, is that person willing to post something about something that happened bad? You know, right? You know, how how real can you be on the internet? And and that's it's a big challenge. I I don't you know for the most part I tell athletes just you know I I actually don't tell them I just watch what they post, but I've never seen anything that raised an eyebrow. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I think as we, you know, culturally, as we get more ingrained um, in social media, because it's definitely it's part of our society and it's not going anywhere, anywhere soon. I think it's just interesting how social media is going to affect sport in general as we move forward. So yeah, it's definitely sure. it's a topic that we could really just focus on for an hour. But it's just to me, it's a really interesting topic. Yeah. But with kind of segueing into my next topic. Pre-competition anxiety or competition anxiety, you know, like you said, there's mm-hmm. every athlete out there has, they deal with things differently internally and externally. Just from your perspective and your, in your experience, what do you see from BMXers? What, what typically do you see that affects their anxiety or arousal level before competition? Just, or maybe if, if you can't really answer that, what comes up for you when you were a racer, like as far as some of the things that were motivators? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen quite a bit of, of pre-competition anxiety, both from myself and other other racers. And um, you know, let me give you an example. I've seen it from my competition as a racer. I remember a guy who was favored to win this race where he, you know, he dominated the season, right? But still we were at the, the year-end final and still there was a mathematical chance that he could lose. And, and this, is, this is a very funny story. I actually went into the men's restroom. There was no one else in there. When I went in there, this guy that had dominated the season and you know it was his race to lose was flushing every single urinal in the bathroom. And I kind of scoped and I laughed and I said, hey, I said, what are you, are you the janitor here? What are you doing? He's like, Oh, it smells in here. I'm just trying to make sure that the bathroom smells better. And I'm thinking, well, we're in a bathroom, man. Like, does it really matter? But then, you know, the, you know, the light bulb went off my head and I said, Oh man, I forgot. He's favored to win. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, he had, he had, you know, had broken records in terms of, you know, the most wins in a single season and geez, you know, it's, it's the, the points still were not enough. He could still potentially lose it. And instead of him focusing on having a good time and saying, screw it, 
I'm going to go for it. I think he was really protecting himself and, and he was dealing with anxiety and for him to, you know, to not deal with it, he was just trying to be busy. Mm. You know, he was trying to be a busy guy. So that, yeah. So that was, that was an example of something that I witnessed as a competitor of a fellow competitor that was trying to deal with pre-event anxiety. I mean, and of course, I think this was probably, I don't, I wouldn't say this was the day of, I would, I want to say this was maybe even the day before. So this was probably 24 hours before the competition, but I smelled, I smelled blood in the water. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've had my fair share of dealing with it both as an athlete and as a coach of my athletes. And for the most part, you know, a lot of my athletes are good. I, I think the way they deal with it is just, they, they've learned and been taught to stay in the moment. Just go through the moment. You know, if it's time to eat, if it's time to get up, get up, take your shower, go through your progressions, enjoy the meal, you know, enjoy the sights and the sounds. You know, if, if you brought a, a book, bring your book. If you need your Walkman, a Walkman. If you need your, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you need your headphones, then listen to those, right? So. Yeah. Uh, we all have, you know, you see it in professional sports. Everyone goes through their, uh, their warm up routine. You see Steph Curry taking, you know, really fun circus style shots, uh, on the basketball court or rather from, from one of the wings, actually, not even on the basketball court trying to make a, I don't know, a hundred foot shot or something ridiculous. I mean, He's dealing with his uh, his pregame anxieties the way he deals with it. So, you know, he's got a plan there. He's got a, a routine. So, I think it's important for everyone to come up with a routine. That way, you don't find yourself in a urinal flushing every toilet. You know, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a great story because you know. I could probably tell you not only some of the the experiences as an athlete, some of the you know just the the experiences I that I witnessed from other athletes dealing with their anxiety. But there's, sure. there's probably some funny stories um, that I had to deal with myself. But what you bring up is really key about routine because yeah, if we can, if we as athletes or we as coaches can establish a pre performance routine and and learn how to, to, to abide by it and honor that, especially with that routine. There's also, there's the, the self-talk that comes along with that routine where, you know, you don't have to be filled with anxiety or filled with self-doubt and frustrations, whatever, and you're, you know, flushing urinals, but that routine will keep you more, you know, will keep you more balanced. It'll keep you more confident and it'll keep you focused on why you're there to compete. So great point. Yeah, and let me bring, let me let me add to that. The end result was this: this gentleman he actually ended up losing the title. He actually lost it. He didn't make the final, and he straight up lost it. So, you know, he he went out of his routine. I think the best thing he could have done was you know do what he's been doing all season long. Hey, look at it as another race. And if you do get anxiety, then look, man, you still got to go for it. Yeah. You know. So in terms of anxiety and stress, I've, I've been, I've also had the honor to actually coach some little kids and, and really not, nothing crazy. Uh, just give them some advice at the race. And I had a kid, you know, I've, I've had parents come up to me and say, Hey Greg, you know, what's going on with my kid? So, well, what's the symptom? And 
They're saying, well, he normally goes really fast at practice. He does really well at the local races. But when we show up here, he doesn't perform. He's nowhere to be found. So I asked the kid, hey, what's going on? I'm scared. What are you scared of? I'm, he's scared of falling. Mm. So my best advice to them was, hey, look, you know, you got to look at that next race as wanting to get to that first turn first. Therefore, you need to give it your best. You know, give it your best 10 full cranks all the way to that first turn. Focus on that when the gate drops. And I guarantee you that fear is going to go away. I'm not telling him to not deal with the fear. I actually told the little kid, you know, I think it was 9 or 10 years old, I said, look, I don't want you to try to cover and smother the fear. It's going to exist. I, in fact, I told him, look, just move it from the front of your head and put it to the back of the head. You can move it around. <laughs> You can control. Move it to the back of your head. Don't. Yeah, you move. You know. Don't try to. Don't try to. Don't try to smother it like it's a fire. You're not going to put it out. It's still going to exist. So, but you can deal with that later, right? But if it's time to compete, then you got to. You know, you got to put your best ten full cranks to that first turn. Or in football, you got to take your three step drop from the quarterback snap position. Take focus on those three three drops back and and make your read and let it go. So I think it's important that you know they also have a dynamic plan in the moment how to deal with anxiety in the moment because that also exists as well. Right. But you know, as a kid, I also used to deal with. Now that I remember, I I think I've dealt with more anxiety as a kid growing up, racing BMX, and hear, and, and hear me out, this was one of my fears. Oh my gosh, that double is too big. A double is where you have to jump across a gap. If you came up short, oh man, it could be potential disaster. You can go over the handlebars and get hurt, and when you crash it, it hurts. Right. I always used to fear that there was a jump, even before I got to the, even before I got to the venue. Because we used to race a lot of indoor tracks that were built temporarily for the weekend. We used to call them rodeo races. They would literally have them in rodeo arenas Mm -hmm. where they would scrape up the dirt from the arena. Um, And then, of course, they would build the entire track, the turns. And it was just beautifully groomed. These guys were, and they still do it today. They're they're just masters of it. And I always feared, oh, my gosh, there's a double. I hope hope there's not a double that I can't jump. And, of course, I hope there's not another double that, you know, I can't jump, but my competition can jump. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it always it, it always worked itself out. I always I was always able to replicate what the top guys were doing on the track. But I remember why I had that fear because the first time I ever traveled for a race outside of California, I live in California, traveled to Arizona to a race. It was a jump, and I remember I came up short and I fell, and I ended up like jamming my jaw. And it hurt, you know, as a nine-year-old jam in your jaw, that's like, you know, that's like a heart attack. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm in the hospital. But yeah, I didn't have anyone to tell me, you know, luckily I was just kind of, you know, I was just ignorant, I guess. I was just like, I can't wait to just ride my bike where I, I think most kids would have been like, you know what? I give up. I don't want to do that anymore. Right. That, that shit hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I think yeah. So I think there's you know definitely there's there's pre competition and then of course there's in competition and 
you got to be prepared for both, don't you? You do. And, you know, it's funny. I know you can, you can agree with this, but, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, with anxiety or arousal, you know, beforehand, it's really interesting. If you can control it in, in, a, in a positive way that soon as that, that first, when the gate drops, when the first shot is taken, the first hit, the first throw, it all goes away. Yeah, you know what I mean, and, and it's really it's really yeah. interesting how the body reacts that way. So you know, again, building a systematic approach where when you do start feeling the you know feeling the anxiety or the arousal, how can you control it? What are those things that you can put in place to control it? Because we all know, for the most part, generally speaking, that as soon as that whistle blows or the gate drops, it goes away. You just got to control it up to that point. Yes, absolutely. And, and you also have to have perspective that what you're feeling, no matter what level, if you're a kid, a professional, whether it's the Olympics, a World Cup, everyone's dealing with it. Yeah. And I think, we, I think as individual athletes, we tend to forget that you're not the only one dealing with anxiety, whether it's pre-competition or in competition. So it just comes down to you know being confident that, you know what? You just have to own it. You just have to say, you know what? I'm going to deal with it better than the competitor. And I really think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what's interesting, too, is that I remember I was sitting in a seminar one time, and, I was, and it, was, uh, it was a sports psychologist that solely specializes in working with MMA fighters. And it's, with, this, you know, with regards to this topic, he was saying, I always talk to my, to my fighters you know, let them know that like it's okay to be nervous because ninety percent of the people that are here are feeling the same thing that you are. The one percent that's saying they they don't or they're not, they're lying to you. So <laughs> yeah, you know. So it just kind of that statement made it real for me. Like we, we all feel it, man. We're all human, and we and I don't care if it's synchronized swimming, it's tennis, it's football. Sport is emotional. It's just emotional. And if you put a lot of time in it, it's even more emotional. So it's just important yeah. to control it. Yeah, and if you're not feeling the emotions and you're not feeling the anxiety, then you need to pick something else because without that, that means you have no passion for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's an indicator. Definitely. But that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic. Eh? Yeah. Why we why we do sport? Why we do sport, man? Yep, it's important. Well, I can. Um, I, I want to thank you for um, sharing your thoughts, Greg, because I can. I could talk to you for hours about sports psychology and mental performance. You know, these topics for me are very real. So, you know, your your perspective and sharing your experiences, I really really appreciate it, and I actually look forward having you on multiple times in the future. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that you and I can talk about uh, with regards to these topics. But before cool. we close up here, because I know that you're very active on social media, how can our viewers connect with you um, on your social media? Um, you know, for, I guess for, um, well, for BMX stuff, it, uh, I'm, at, I'm pretty much at BMX training. Okay. Pretty simple. And uh, you can find that on Instagram. You can find that on Twitter. Yep. But my personal account on Twitter is at Greg Romero. That's pretty much where the real talk side of me comes out <laughs> um, in terms of uh, 
inspiring and, and thoughtful treat, uh, thoughtful treats, thoughtful tweets. Uh-huh. Sorry, I was looking at my dog and she was asking for a treat. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. And what about Periscope? You're, you're uh, pretty active on that as well, right? Yeah, but um, I, I'm yeah. I, I do Periscope from time to time, and uh, I think that's going to be on Twitter as well. So that's going to be at Greg Romero as well. That's uh, that's G R E G R O M as in Mary E R O Greg Romero. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Well, you know, to my viewers out there, listeners, definitely check him out. He's got a lot to offer. Uh, his website bmxtraining.com is just a portal of goodness man there's if you are into bmx or want to learn about bmx it is it's got everything there so check it out and before i want to close up here what i do every podcast is i like to talk about a book real quick because there's a ton of good literature out there on various topics and and the book that i want to kind of highlight here is really good it's a good segue to what we were talking about today this book is called the new toughness training for sports Mental, Emotional, and Physical Conditioning from one of the world's premier sports psychologists, James Lohr, and that's L-O-E-H-R. And this book is, it's really, really, it's an easy read. It talks about overcoming stress and fear, um, how to deal with injuries. So it's it's really how to deal with uh, achieving a peak performance. Really good read. So when you have a chance, uh, check out this book. But again, Greg, thank you for your time. Awesome thoughts, and I will see you guys at the next session.